Hello, I'm Pastor Kenny. I'm the lead campus pastor over at Shakopee. And it had been so long since I've been here in the last service, somebody came right up and gave me one of these uh, visitor bags. <laughs> they said, no, really, why, why has it been so long? And I said, well, Matt doesn't need the oversight he has needed in the past, so I'm going to let those visits be a little less frequent. <laughs> I'm kidding. Man, tough crowd. No, we, uh, we, we get the opportunity to switch back and forth from time to time, and uh, it's always a joy being over here, and I'm always encouraged at what God is doing, and of course, serving with Matt, don't tell him, but I actually like him, and he's, uh, he's just doing some fun, fun things, and I hope your heart is full because of it. Today, uh, we're going to dig into chapter 18 of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go there, and if you have a pen or a highlighter, I want to encourage you to use that, you know, underline some stuff, highlight some stuff. If you have your phone on you, then you can use your phone for the scripture. I am, this is my step of faith. I'm trusting that you're actually using your phone for scripture and not trying to find an awkward picture to take of me and use against me later. Yes, Kyle Whitmore, I'm thinking of you. And so, yeah, uh, that's my step of faith. Okay. So we'll be in Genesis chapter 18. And as you're going there, I'd like to set up our time together. We're going to look at this uniquely from a, a, a position of prayer. And here's why. I think oftentimes when we think of prayer, it's this kind of abstract idea. I grew up in a faith practice that all of our prayers were written out or memorized. And, and that's great. I mean, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, right? And he told them specifically how to pray and the words to use. And the church practiced that for 2,000 years. Last service, uh, I, I was, you know, I was thinking ahead of what I was going to say. And I said, uh, the church has practiced that for 200 years. And people were like, 200 years? I think you mean 2,000. Yep, that is, that is true. So I'm publicly correcting myself. There we have it. For 2,000 years, the church has had that prayer, our Father who art in heaven, and we've practiced that. But there's also a place for us to pray that is a little more spontaneous, perhaps. Uh, a, a, a way of getting outside of something that is written down and praying out things uh, that we need to address in our lives. And we're going to see a concrete example of that. And the reason it's concrete is because God shows up in the flesh. God is literally right there. And we get to see Abraham interact with God uniquely and specifically. When I first uh, became a believer, I was discipled by a pastor. And this pastor sat down with me and said, do you know how to pray? I said, sure. And I did like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he said, well, that is, that is one way to pray. But you, there are other ways of praying, Kenny. And, and he said, actually... You can open your eyes while you pray, and God can even hear you if your eyes are open, which is beneficial if you're driving. <laughs> Makes sense. That's a good point. There, there are different ways that we pray. Through the years, however, I've found that, um, I don't know, there are in, intense matters that we pray. Maybe you've been there. It's... Uh, it's difficult questions that we're dealing with in our prayer time. Maybe it's 
when someone has lost a, a child or a miscarriage or maybe a sickness that comes out of nowhere. We have a young man in Shakopee who has asked for prayer. His name is Soren, and Soren has cancer and is going through chemo. He's gone through surgery and a chemo treatment and asked for the church to be in prayer for him. And those are prayer matters that before the Lord, it's like, how, how do you handle this? And I, I want to give you a phrase. It's found in the text that we'll be dealing with today. But I want to give you a phrase that will be really helpful. And here it is. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Some of your translations will say, do what is right. And that's a place we have to land. As, as we bring our petitions, our, thanks, our thankfulness, as we speak to God, can we land at that place? The judge of all the earth will do what is just. He'll do what is right. I, we, we have to land there. If, if we don't land there, uh, then we're suggesting something about God and his plan, aren't we? You're going to see that played out in the life of Abraham. You're going to see Abraham embrace this, this uh, time with God in ways that uh, are unique, that maybe in ways that we don't always consider. You're going to see Abraham spend time with God and get surprised by some things that God says and even some responses within his household. And then God's going to do something that is really going to shock him when he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're going to see how Abraham interacts relationally with God, which is what prayer is. And so with that in mind, I'd like to spend a few moments in prayer. And one of the things I'm going to ask you to do is quietly, right where you are, if you would be so willing to ask the Holy Spirit to have his way in this moment. That the Holy Spirit would have his way in your heart, in the hearts of those around us, and also that he would speak to us through his word today. Would you pray that way? And then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in this together. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in this place in some powerful ways. For some of us, Lord, we've, we've been living our faith in compartmental sort of ways. For others, Lord, we're, we're looking to go deeper. For all of us, we need to know you more, and not just informationally, but experientially, that we would experience you in some profound ways, that we would know you, Lord. And Almighty God, as we look at your word today, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In Shakopee, when we started this series, one of the things that we, we said is we, we introduced Experiencing God. It's a book by Blackaby and King. In Experiencing God, there are seven principles that flow throughout the scriptures that are truths throughout the scriptures. And we said even extend beyond the scriptures and into the lives of the believers if we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And so those seven principles... Uh, come out to us, and I think they also inform the passages. 
Uh, I'm going to talk about these really quick and highlight them. We're not going to pause in every place and say, look, this is how God is speaking and pursuing and uh, inviting and leading. And we're not doing that. But I, do, I am giving them to you as tools to consider as we walk through this passage. So firstly, we see that God is at work. God is at work. He's moving amongst us. He's doing things that we're, uh, we didn't have to prepare for. We don't just walk into a room and bring God with us. He's been there. Uh, he's been there. He's been engaged in that place. He's been engaged with people. We, we know that. We can walk into those places confidently that God is at work. But not just that, that God is pursuing. Specifically, that God is pursuing a love relationship with people. The situations that we experience, the, uh, the circumstances we find ourselves in, often is allowed by God for the express purpose of knowing him. Not just that, but God invites us. This almighty God, the one who spoke and worlds existed, is inviting us into his world to work with him. What an amazing thing. Like, he doesn't need us, but for some reason, he, he uses us for his glory. That's an amazing truth. He invites us into those places. He speaks to us. Now, I want to say this, that God speaks primarily through his word. Getting to know his word and interacting with his word is paramount in getting to know God. God also speaks to us through prayer. God also speaks to us through circumstances. God speaks to us through his church. We know that those things are true, but they're never going to contradict what he has to say in his word. So if you were praying, or if some, we won't say you, if someone else was praying and they came to you and they said, you know, during my prayer time, I just had this sense that God wants me to steal my neighbor's car. We know that is not of God, right? Like that is not consistent with his word. That's not him speaking. Okay, so God speaks to us, but God leads. And I would say out of these five, this is one that we like to ignore perhaps the most. That God leads us to crossroads. That crossroad specifically is a crossroad where we can choose faith or we can choose fear. We can choose to follow God and be obedient to him and his word or we can do our own thing and succumb to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. God leads us to that place, and he does it on purpose. Our response is to adjust. And in adjusting, we're, uh, we're uh, recalibrating our life. Okay, I've been doing this, but God is at work here, and I need to follow him in this place. And as we do that, we experience God. You're going to see... This true in this passage with Abraham, with Sarah, uh, you're going to see these, this reality come unfold in front of us. That God is at work before he gets to Abraham's presence. He's at work after Abraham leaves. God is pursuing a relationship with Abraham uh, and, and wants Abraham to know him even more. God invites Abraham into uh, work with God and God's ultimate plan. He invites Sarah as well, as you'll see, God speaks. That's going to become very clear, and God leads. And for all of them, they're going to have to make some adjustments if they're going to experience God. And perhaps that's true for us as well. We're in Genesis chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to walk through it together and uh, bring out, highlight a few things. And at the end, we're going to uh, conclude some thoughts about prayer. 
As I said earlier, prayer can be this abstract concept that is just exists mostly in our head, or it can be a concrete event that happens regularly in the life of the believer. And it's that concrete event that we see lived out in this passage that I, I hope will inform us and help us as we, uh, as we learn even better how to pray. Let's go to the Word. Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Let me just pause there real quick. How many of you get bothered whenever you get phone calls? This is kind of a bother. It's a little agitating. Can't you just text me that? Uh, Right? That's the culture that we've become. Uh, our, our phones have led us in that direction. Uh, how many of you, when you get somebody, uh, somebody rings your doorbell and you're like, who in the world could that be? <laughs> Everybody down. <laughs> right? Like, don't let them look in the windows. They might know we're here. Right? Uh, that's the culture that we've become. Uh, that's problematic, though. And it's dynamically different than the culture that Abraham was a part of, where hospitality was a value in the culture. I want you to consider this element of hospitality. We're going to hit it a little harder a little bit later. But look, these guys didn't send an email. They didn't send a text. They didn't call ahead of time. They didn't send a pigeon with a note. Nothing. They just showed up. And watch Abraham's response. Oh, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you've said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, quick, Three sailors of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. You might be saying, how much is that? Well, that's about 21 quarts. I don't know how big these fellers were (laughs) or how hungry they were, but that seems like a lot. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Cheese curds, there you have it. If you want a good prayer life, cheese curds are involved. Yeah, that's what I took out of that. Okay, that's maybe not, not accurate. But. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Let's just pause there. Look at the hospitality of Abraham here. These three come. Now, There are some people, they're all over the map on who these three people are. Later, we find out specifically the Lord is at least one of them. Some have said Father, Son, Holy Spirit could be be the Lord and two angels. That's where I lean. Um, uh, But regardless, we know that the Lord is amongst them. That doesn't become evident until a little bit later. But uh, 
Look at how Abraham treats them. He stops what he does and he goes out to them. He prepares for them. I mean, hospitality is flowing in this. It's going to be in stark juxtaposition of chapter 19 when the angels go to Sodom uh, a little bit later. But let's stick with what's happening right now in chapter 18. Abraham has also involved his family. They've, they've been a part of this, whether that's preparing the the food with Sarah or slaughtering the calf and preparing it uh, as the servant did. So uh, with that in mind, let's look at verse 10. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Just as a point of clarity, she's in a place where physically she shouldn't be having children. Like it shouldn't be happening, shouldn't be able to. Keep in mind, nearly 23 years earlier, almost 25 years, Abraham is in Ur. And it's a, it's a place of uh, idolatry. His family were idolaters. And this God, this foreign God speaks to him. And calls him out of Ur into the promised land. And to do that, he's going to have to walk through the wilderness. And in the wilderness, sometimes he has amazing successes. And other times he blows it big time. Big time blows it. But he's following God. And there's adjustments that take place. There's some surprises that happen. But he's following God. And he's following God with a, uh, with a prophetic message that God has given him, that he's going to have a child. In fact, there are going to be so many of his descendants that you can't even count them. But it's been almost 25 years. Man, I, I just get tired after a little bit of something, right? Like, for example, my kids say, yeah, Dad, I'll take out the trash. Well, it's been two weeks. Like, when's that going to happen? Uh, that's unfair. They usually do it in a week or so. It's fine. Uh, but the point is, uh, nearly 25 years. That's a long time to wait on God. I, I, I think of the scriptures about, you know, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. And here's Abraham and Sarah, and they're trying to follow God the best they can, and sometimes they mess up and really blow it, uh, like we heard last week, and sometimes they have these wild successes. And then we hear this. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the idea here is that God's hand of blessing is on her. To have children in the ancient world was a sign of God's blessing. He wants to perpetuate these people through a line. God's blessing is there. And she's going, after all of this, <laughs> is it true? How could this be true? I can't even fathom it. The Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a son now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Verse 14, if you have your pen highlighter, I want to encourage you to underline that statement right there. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a great reminder 
Sometimes those are immediate statements that we see fulfilled, and sometimes those are long-term that happen many, many, many years later. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Now, the way that I understand God, he, he knows. You might as well not lie to him. Like, he knows. And he tells her that. So she's like, nah, I didn't laugh. Uh, but you did. You did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? I love that. That just had to have whetted uh, Abraham's appetite, right? Should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? Yeah, you should tell me. Like, what do you mean? Has he, uh, he, it feels like he's kind of locked in at this point, right? Like, shall I tell him? Nah. <laughs> What? No, tell me. Okay. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, and Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, and before I go here, the, the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah, we are very familiar with perhaps in, in our day and culture. Uh, you'll hear more about that next week. I won't get into all of it, but it's horrible. It's terrible. But what they're really guilty of is not just the lack of hospitality, not just the uh, abuse of others, but also that there are poor. There are poor in the area, and they profit from the poor. They're abusive, and that abuse goes through, throughout their whole life and, and throughout the whole culture. That's pretty sick. And God's going to deal with it. And they're known for that. Like, those cities are known for that. Watch Abraham's response, though. They're about to be wiped away, and watch Abraham's response. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Like, Abraham has known God from Ur. He's walked with him, and he's seen God do some amazing things. And some of those things were very gracious, and some of those things were amazing and miraculous, and Abraham has seen all of it. And now he's in a spot where God is just going to destroy these people, the righteous and the wicked, just because they live in this place. Abraham pushes back. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the, the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked. By the way, this is called supplication. When we see needs of others and we lift those needs up, Abraham is doing this in a very concrete way in the very presence of God. 
so that the righteous fare as the wicked far be that from you. And then he says that phrase that if, again, I want to encourage you to underline, highlight. It's been a phrase that I've used maybe a thousand times in my ministry. A phrase that comes up when people say, what, what happens to aborted children? A phrase that comes up when they say, what, what happens to my baby that I miscarried? A phrase that comes up when a sick person is blindsided by a sickness, when a young person dies from a sickness, when situations occur that are just inexplicable. It's a place that I often land, and it's a place that Abraham went to when he said this. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Of course he will. Of course he will. In verse 26. And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. But it doesn't stop him. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again. But this once, suppose ten are found there. He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Boy, we see some things come out in this passage in terms of interacting with God. I, I have to say that as it, as it relates to prayer, there uh, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he, he reminds them, hey, don't, don't be like the hypocrites, but go, go to your closets and pray. And there, there's, a, there's a time and a place for that. There's a time and a place to read rote prayers or memorized prayers. There's a time for that. And there's also a time to engage God in prayer. Jesus, do you remember this in his prayer when he taught his disciples how to pray? He, he has this phrase, and I love it, on earth as it is in heaven. Consider that for a moment. What if, what if heaven came here, right, right here for now, this moment? What, what would that mean? On earth as it is in heaven, heaven coming to earth. Of course, Jesus modeled that. He, man, he, he manifested that. He was there. He was present. But what would that mean? Well, in, in moments of prayer, we get to experience that. I would say in moments of worship, like we've had, to, in moments where we're gathered around the word of God, we're getting a little piece of that on earth as it is in heaven. And in prayer, we get that as well. And with that in mind, let's look at some uh, concrete ways of looking at prayer and experiencing God in that. The first one is exercise hospitality. Exercise hospitality. We have a view in the West of hospitality, and it certainly is different than the way that it looked in the Middle East so long ago. 
certainly look different. What is hospitality? Well, uh, uh, hospitality is a giving of ourselves, a turning over of everything that we have to that which we're being hospitable to. My food is your food. My home is your home. My bed, this is your bed. Hospitality is a lot of things, but ultimately it's turning over uh, what is ours to, that that we're, to, to the person that we're being hospitable to. And we see this with Abraham going far above and beyond what he needed to, to offer it. And I, I will say that in the West, we are a little bit short on hospitality. Uh, because we want to be very efficient. We want to use our time wisely. We want to be careful. I can't spend all day just blabbing about nothing. Uh, we got stuff to do. A friend of mine invited me to Greece. It was an, an amazing experience. And, and I got a little flavor of this. Of course, Greece is a Western nation. Uh, so many things uh, that are in Greece, culturally speaking, are similar here in the United States. But there are some big differences, and hospitality is one of those big differences. So, for example, I showed up uh, to my friend's house. We went over to his mom's house, and she made dinner for us. And she came out, friends, I'm not exaggerating when I say that the plate that she held, she took two hands and was as wide as my shoulders. And she comes out, and I'm like, whoa, that's plenty for all of us. This is great. And then she puts it in front of me. And then my friend, he nudges me. His name's Paniotis Karakolidis. And Paniotis nudges me, and he goes, it's rude if you don't eat at all. <laughs> it's business time, friends. <laughs> so I dug in. I dug in, and I, I didn't come up for air. I was like, oh, I chewed a few times. I ate everything on that plate because I did not want to offend her. And she noticed how much I liked it and was so encouraged by how much I liked it that she brought me half again back. And I looked at my friend and he goes, it's rude if you don't eat. <laughs> oh, I'm still full from that trip. Uh, but it was, it was like she, she was lavish in preparing for me and caring for me. They, like everything that they had was, was mine. I could ask for it and it was mine. Hey, that's a really nice chair. Yours, you can have it. You're welcome. Uh, now, juxtaposed, uh, had, a, had a friend, one of my friends from Greece, came and spent some time with us when we were in Cheyenne and, and uh, he was at one of our small group meetings and this happened at nine o'clock. Hey, uh, it's nine and thanks for coming. I'm going to bed, and if you could just lock up on your way out. That's what the host said. Uh, you know, the door's locked. Just shut it behind you. That's fine. I'm going to bed. And my friend is like, what just happened? That, like, you don't, you don't care anymore about us? You're, you're just letting us go? Like, yep, get out. That was the message. Uh, hospitality looks much different to him than it did to us. It looks much different in the scriptures as well. Hospitality is a giving of everything that we have. It's yours. What I have is yours. And if this is going to take um, 
Five minutes, great. If it takes five hours, that's also great. Because you're what's important in this moment. And we see this with Abraham being present in the moment as he offers hospitality to his guests who is the Lord. Consider hospitality as we pray. There are times where you're driving, you should be in prayer with your eyes open. You should be in prayer. But there are other times when we pray that we should be prepared ahead of time. Lord, before I go in front of you, before heaven comes to earth and we have this holy moment, I want to get my heart right. I don't want to just walk into this flippantly. I want to prepare my best and offer it to you. And if our time together is five minutes, I'll receive every second of it. And if this is five hours, I'll embrace that as well. And we'll spend time in this place. You know, the the early church to be a theologian, it wasn't how much you knew, but it was how much time you spent in prayer. That was the identifier of theologians in the early church, was to be a prayer. Heaven coming down. And we see this. Uh, Additionally, involving your whole household when appropriate. Not every time, but sometimes it should happen from time to time. Abraham goes to one of his servants who's employed under him, and he has him prepare stuff. He goes to Sarah, and she prepares some things. She's involved in this, and we, by extension, also need to be involved. To, like our, our families shouldn't be surprised that we pray, that we care. Perhaps that can't happen every night, but can it happen one night? Perhaps it's not every week, but, but can it happen one week? Like, Engaging our families, our households in prayer in a hospitable sort of way is important. It's modeled here. And it's something, by extension, that we can be a part of and purposeful in doing. Not just embracing hospitality, but also embracing surprises. Like, okay, we haven't talked a lot about this child, I mean we have because we see it in scriptures, but we're getting these snapshots of years. Years have gone by and this promise isn't fulfilled. And that promise comes back up and Sarah about chokes. (laughs) I kind of let that that ship sailed. (laughs) I'm okay with that. Nope. I'm not done. This time next year. Whoa, that's new info. And then God's speaking to the other angels to say, hey, should we let Abraham in on what's about to happen here? There's some surprises that occur. And the Lord may reveal those surprises. Early, early when Cindy and I first got married, I, I worked for a, uh, a, a glass company. And uh, I have lots of excuses. It could have been more training, da-da-da-da, whatever. In the end, it wasn't a good fit. Uh, one day while I was praying, I just had this sense that God was moving like, you're, you're done here. They're, we're moving on from, from here. You, you're going to be let go. Whew, young guy, that's a lot of pride. That hurts. That stings. But I got to kind of work through that in my, in my prayer time and that nudge. Sure enough, that week, my boss comes up to me, puts his arm around me. He was a good guy, a Christian guy. Uh, he loved me. This was hard for him. I recognized that. And he said, I'm sorry, Kenny, this isn't working out. And today's your last day. And I said, hey, thank you for being obedient to God. You know, I felt like God was nudging my heart this week on that very issue. And, and so thanks. I know this wasn't easy for you. He was shocked. He almost fell over. Like, 
was expecting something different. I think he put his arm around me so that he had me in a headlock if I needed to get there. But what a gracious and kind thing for the Lord to do to speak to us in that time when we're submitted to him. Maybe it's not an audible voice, but certainly we'll get those nudges and those moments of peace being extended to us in our times of prayer. Also, we see him engage in supplication, caring for others' needs, spending that time in focused prayer. What? You're going to destroy these cities, God? Wait a minute. How about if there's 50? Well, I can't believe you agreed to that, God. How about 45? Whoa, 30, 20, 10? Okay. But the God of heaven is going to do what's right. The judge of the world is going to do what is just. That's what he's going to do. And he can land there and be okay with it. And that brings us to that, the end of this prayer time. Can I just trust God? Sometimes our prayers don't get answered the way that we want them. Can I just trust God in that place? Does that mean that people walked perfectly through it and could do things differently? No, it doesn't mean that. Are, are we sinners? Yes, absolutely. But can I trust that God is bigger than sinners? Absolutely. And that's the challenge we have. And even as we move into this time of communion, uh, that's the challenge that we have. That we're in relationship with God. Fact is, Jesus called us to this practice of communion, not as a tradition of man, but a tradition given to us by God himself. We're going to participate in something that is holy and unique that God gave his church because he loves us. Therefore, communion is for the believer. It doesn't make sense for the non-believer. So if you've surrendered to Jesus as your Savior, if you've called on him, if you're obedient to follow Jesus, then communion is for you. Not just that, but we find out in 1 Corinthians that we're also supposed to take some time and examine our hearts. First of all, it could be that we're blind to our own sin, pausing before the Lord and asking God to reveal any dark places of the heart, any sin is not just appropriate, but necessary for communion. God, is there any unconfessed sin that I need to address? Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And Lord, let me be repentant of that sin. There are four stations in this room. You can go to the station that's closest to you and get both elements. At the end of that time, you can go back to your seat. We'll sing together and then we'll participate together as well. And so before, before I let you free to get the elements, I, I just want to pray over us. Would you receive this now? Jesus, we love you. And we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for examples of men like Abraham. Ah, they didn't walk perfect, but they sure gave us some examples. And they remind us as we don't walk perfectly from time to time that we would respond in faith, repent, and follow you. So Lord, we know you are at work around us. We know that you're pursuing us. We know that you're inviting us 
into your work. We know that you're speaking to us through your word. We know that you're leading us to this crossroads of faith and fear. And today, Lord, we want to choose faith. So we are asking for forgiveness for the sins that we have done knowingly and unknowingly. Lord, please forgive us. We come to this place and we we ask for your work in our lives that you would be glorified and honored, not because of who we are, but because of who you are, oh Lord. And Lord, as we offer these things to you, we have this assurance that the judge of all the earth will do what is just. And so Lord, be exalted even as we enter into this holy time of communion. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen.